Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone, I hope you're having a terrific week. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Wednesday, October 6th. A supplier's program management function is charged with spearheading newly awarded vehicle programs through an exhaustive development and launch process, often lasting months before full-scale production. Program managers carry responsibility for customer satisfaction, on-time delivery, and profitability. And, according to a study being released today based on interviews with 183 supplier program managers, their job is getting harder and more complex. Why? Fragmented use of technology tools. Inefficient processes they have needed to cobble together to get their jobs done. An increasing volume of programs due to shorter model lifespans. New OEM customers entering the market and growing supply chain concern and complexities, particularly as a result of the industry's push to electric vehicles. Chad Jackson, CEO and Chief Analyst at Lifecycle Insights, the research firm behind the study commissioned by Actify, says the activities program managers are doing to manage their day-to-day activities are many times inefficient and reactive. For example, Jackson notes how 65% of program managers are communicating daily, sometimes hourly, with customers in addition to suppliers, management, and other departments within their own companies. 40% of program managers are still inputting data to physically printed documentation, and 59% still track program status in physically printed paper forms. Jackson does say the study also reveals a bit of good news. For example, nearly all program managers participating in the study indicate their companies are also actively pursuing improvements in program management. How else have their jobs changed over the last two years? How well, or not, are they leveraging technology to manage programs? And what are the greatest opportunities they see that could come from more efficient program management and execution? We've caught up with Lifecycle Insights CEO and Chief Analyst Chad Jackson in Austin, Texas. Chad, thanks so much for joining me today on the Daily Drive podcast. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Well, I'm glad you had a few minutes to join us on the show today. You've done some really exciting research around program management and complexity of vehicle programs. Can we start with you sharing with our audience a little bit about the research, what it's designed to examine, who the respondents are, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's see. Um, you know, in general, we conduct a lot of research on, you know, tech-led engineering and product development initiatives. And, you know, we've known that program management has been challenging. Let's, let's say it's challenging um, for a while. But we wanted, to, we wanted to quantify that a little bit. Um, so, you know, we, uh, we went out and we conducted this survey-based research study. Um, and it produced some eye-opening results just in terms of practices, in terms of performance, in terms of what uh, companies are trying to accomplish 
so yeah, it's been it's been very very interesting to look at the results. Who are the respondents? Are they all program managers in the automotive industry? Uh, they are. Yeah, absolutely. So automotive uh, program managers, mainly in you know probably tier two, tier three suppliers. You know, we're not talking about OEMs in tier ones. It's more uh, further down the supply chain than that. So let's dive into some of the results. Respondents appear to be doing a variety of things. Actually, they're doing a lot of things on the day in day out basis based on the survey results. And at the same time, they also say the number of customers and programs they're working are on the rise and they have less time to start new programs. What are the implications of what respondents are saying? Yeah, so uh, the complexity is rising pretty quickly. So uh, in general, you know, they're seeing there's more of their customers, which are OEMs and tier ones. Um, they're finding that t the time to start up these programs is shorter than it has been in the past. Um, and there's some, you know, there, there's broad implications about what's going on with programs in the industry. Um, but basically the complexity of these programs are much, much higher than they have been. Uh, and as a result, um, you know, they're having a tough time keeping up using the traditional practices. I want to talk a little bit about how they communicate in technologies that they use a little bit later in conversations, because I think there's some pretty interesting insights from that as well. The push to electrification is all the buzz in the industry these days. Pardon sure. the pun, maybe not pun intended, uh, <laughs> but it is certainly all the buzz. So what do respondents tell you and how did they respond? What do they say about this transition to electric vehicles? Yeah, no, it's, that was pretty fascinating. So, you know, the response to the, the impact of the transition to, you know, electrification has been quite large. You know, it's, it's been a big impact. And I think what the, kind of the story here, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, but, you know, we're on this edge of a huge change in the automotive industry. And, and you know, it's probably more apt to call it mobility solutions, right? Because, you know, it's taking the form of many, many different forms uh, right now. So a lot of, because there's so much change in the composition of mobility solutions, a lot of OEMs and tier ones are looking around going, wow, we we haven't had the competencies in software, electronics, electrical systems. And frankly, there's a lot of companies outside the industry that are looking at it and go, hey, you know, we're pretty good at that. And they see an opportunity and they're entering uh, the industry. Some of them are OEMs, brand new. Uh, a lot of them are, are tier ones. Um, and as a result, there's a lot more programs that these tier two, tier three suppliers are frankly getting approached with that they can compete around. Um, so there's more of these program contracts that they're pursuing and winning. And uh, as a result, that's driven the complexity of their environment much higher as well. So th there's an interrelation, not only the programs getting more complex. There's more of these OEMs in tier ones. Um, and it's, uh, it's, there's opportunity, make no doubt about it. Uh, but it's definitely gotten more complex. 
One of the interesting set of questions I found in the study was increases or decreases on complexity of programs across a number of different factors, complexity of certification, complexity of program requirements, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about what respondents say about those areas of complexity and the programs the company, their companies are delivering? Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's another really interesting kind of aspect of the study. I mean, what we were finding you know, overall, respondents stated that, you know, in the range of 50, 60, 70 percent of the programs are increasing complexity across, like you said, certifications, program requirements, uh, OEM requirements, specifications, frequency of updates requested by those customers, and even remote participants. So they're being asked to do more with these programs. They're being asked to fulfill more requirements. Um, Yet often they're being asked to deliver on the same or even shorter schedules. Uh, So it's, these companies are being asked to step up in big ways. Um, And it's difficult, especially when you're using kind of these manual, traditional ad hoc processes and methods to get things done. So let's talk a little bit about how these respondents are using technologies, how they're communicating, how they're sharing files. How would you assess what respondents say with regard to communication and sharing data and sharing information between different departments? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question because you know, a lot of times these program managers are, uh, they're trying to stay ahead of things. That's where they would like to be. They'd like to be proactively managing any issues, you know, cut them off before they turn into, a you know, a catastrophe within the company, right? They're missing quality targets. They're, they're missing delivery dates and that type of thing. So they scramble around and get updates constantly. They need a they need a they need a very accurate as close to real time view of the program as they can possibly get. So what that translates into is they're constantly on calls, they're constantly email pe- emailing people, they're constantly uh, exchanging files in an effort to be on the very edge of what is going on with the program. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there are some inherent, uh, disadvantages, uh, to that, uh, especially on email and files, you know, as soon as, you know, we're all incredibly busy and, and in these environments, it, it is very, very busy. So as soon as you get an email, um, it could be buried, it could be accidentally deleted, it could be lost. Uh, the files attached to the email can be outdated immediately. Um, so, you know, the program manager or others might be working on a out of date information and making crucial decisions, um, as well as trying to communicate back to the OEM or the tier one supplier, uh, and not have the most up to date, accurate view. And it's, you know, it's gotta be maddening. <laughs> for- yeah. It's gotta be chaotic and yeah, very reactive is what you're describing. And yeah. It doesn't actually seem fun, quite frankly. Um, yeah, right. It, 
I got to believe it increases. That process is a stressor. Uh, obviously, it's reactive. It's not proactive is what you're describing. I got to believe that part of this is also there. It creates increased opportunity for error, quality error, production error, et cetera. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when, you know, the I guess the definition or the source of the truth, which is this mix of ad hoc communication in terms of status and the definition of the thing, you know, whatever the component is that you're making can be changing very quickly, especially with engineering change orders. Uh, it's if you're looking at the wrong thing or you're looking at the wrong spreadsheet that maybe it's even out of date, uh, you're making things to the wrong spec. You're, you know, you're not up to date as to the real status. So yeah, it's gotta be maddening. And I think this is why, you know, there's some, there's some burnout and turnover in this role. And it's, and it's an absolute shame in, and there's two facets to that, right? One is, um, these people like put in really long hours. It's incredibly stressful, especially with what has happened over the course of the last year, right? I mean, we all had to make a big shift and do things in entirely new ways. Uh, but it's also going to be incredibly stressful in terms of being the interface to the customer, the OEM and the tier one. And, you know, maybe you're confident, maybe you're not confident. You know, depending on how your company is operated in the past, giving an answer to that client, uh, maybe it's accurate, maybe it's not accurate. Uh, and, and when that happens, by the way, this is another finding that kind of came out, the frequency at which those program managers are being asked to communicate back to their clients is very frequent. And uh, in some cases, a large percentage of the respondents said, yeah, we got to communicate hourly. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Our, no kidding. Because, I mean, that is, you know, that is what happens when something goes wrong with the program. You're going to have your client uh, scrutinize what you're doing more closely. And sometimes that means someone from the OEM or the tier one is in your office the next day. Okay, we're going to start at 6 a.m. And I'm going to help you stay on top of things, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a, that is um, an escalating <laughs> way to try to mitigate the risk of this kind of chaotic environment. So, and I think you exacerbate that. You mentioned COVID, you mentioned the chip shortage that is mm. wreaking havoc on the industry right now. So these types of industry dynamics that they're going to happen, right? It's everybody's yeah. turning the barrel at one point. Yep. That exacerbated by the working environment that you describe, again, it's 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 not ideal. It's stress it's stressful, and and I think the downstream implications of that are are pretty significant as you articulate. I am curious, relative to COVID and working remotely, anything specific that you found in your research in terms of implications of working more remotely over the last year, eighteen months, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we did have a number of respondents. It's around 61% saying that that complexity is increasing or increasing significantly. But, you know, we asked another question as well. Uh, you know, and this study was done, you know, within the last couple months, uh, you know, what kind of impact it has had on the performance of programs or what kind of negative effect. And it, you know, it, it wasn't that high. I got to be honest. I think uh, 
You know, certainly it has been a complicating factor. I think people think and feel that they have adjusted, they've adjusted as much as they can. Let me put it that way. Um, and a lot of a lot of these respondents feel like, hey, we're doing just as good as everybody else, and and this is like, uh, this is the way it is. <laughs> you you can't do better, right? That's that's the what they think. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we ask them to rate their own capability uh, or competency in program management, and a lot of them said, yeah, we're great. In some cases, they said they're world class. Um, but then we asked, what's your opportunity to improve? And all of them, you know, a very large percentage of them said, yeah, we have, we have a great opportunity to improve. So, and that's not surprising, right? I mean, you know, the, the types of solutions that are out there to, pro, to manage programs today uh, are either very manual, you know, we talked about emails and spreadsheets, or they take a general business solution like ERP or PLM or, or something else or, or even spreadsheets, right? Uh, and they try to customize the heck out of it. They try to tailor it to what they do. And that's really hard because the more you customize something, frankly, the more fragile uh, it can become, especially around new releases uh, and changes. So it's, they've been behind, between like a rock and a hard place. You know, how do you make this work? How are you successful with this? And, and there haven't been a lot of good answers so far. You said something a moment ago, it reminds me of a guest I had on the show uh, a couple of days ago. First thing you do is have to admit that you have a problem. <laughs> what, you know, it, it was, what advice would you give? Well, first thing you have to do is admit you have a problem and we can go from there. So um, right. sounds like yeah. that might be uh, appropriate for, for some of, of these respondents as well. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every 3 minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. You mentioned technology, you mentioned spreadsheets, PLM, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about some of the findings that respondents tell you about how they're using technology to communicate, track, manage programs? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we talked a little bit about email uh, and attached files. The part of the issue involved here too is that uh, the files or data that they're looking at are not all, uh, how do I say it, generally accessible, I guess is a good way to put it. In some cases, you know, we're talking about models or drawings and um, all too often you can't, not a lot of people have the tools installed on their desktops or laptops to open those things, right? Um, especially because, you know, there's a bunch of different tools and each of them use their own formats. So the chance you're going to have five or six different mechanical CAD applications installed as a program manager is pretty low, right? But still, you need access to that information. So you might go up and, you know, be talking to the mechanical engineer once an hour or once a day. Uh, and you're, you know, I, I don't want to say pester, but, you know, you you got stuff you got to know. Um, and that that's a significant challenge, too, is that this technical data is in formats um, that is that can be hard to access. Part of your research asks respondents to specify the severity of issues across their companies. Things like errors occur, problems are missed, resulting in downstream mistakes. Stakeholders do not provide updates that are timely or accurate enough. Yeah. How significant are these challenges to be able to manage programs effectively? Yeah, so I think these are pretty, pretty significant. Let me, you know, let me kind of couch it in the right context. Um, so first off, you know, there was a list of, I don't know, we got 10 or 12 issues that we asked, okay, how big a problem is this and, and how much disruption does it cause? And the numbers are really high. You know, in general, you know, it's 40 to... 60, 65% uh, of those respondents said, hey, it's a moderate to significant problem or disruption. So I think that the, the context though, the business context is that as you know, a lot of these uh, tier two, tier three suppliers are working on fixed margin or capped margin contracts, right? So if they execute flawlessly, you know, they're going to, they're going to hit that max margin. But if you start having quality issues, if you have delays and there are financial penalties in the contract, well, you're, you're taking that out of that margin uh, frequently. And that's where these disruptions kind of manifest from a financial perspective. So that, you know, obviously there's, there, we talked about like quality of life issues for program managers, and that's very real. It's very difficult, especially when you have someone that's incredibly skilled and they get so burned out, they have to leave, right, to keep their and maintain their sanity. But from a business perspective, there is very real monetary, uh, there's a re very real monetary impact as well. You know, it, it means the company isn't as profitable when they were capped to begin with, and that can affect all sorts of things, you know, how you source stuff. Um, how many people can they hire? How many people can they maintain? 
uh, in the company. So it's, you know, there, there are multiple facets of it you got to take into account. And these are very, a lot of these are digital problems, which is the interesting thing. Yeah, I want to talk about improvement here in a moment, but you teed on something there, touched on something I should say that's interesting. And that's this talent notion, not only work-life balance and keeping folks with highly skilled and, and deep expertise in the role, but in the absence of that, I would imagine that downstream, you're going to run into problems with attracting people in this role. Why would I want that job? It's stressful. It's chaotic. Yeah, but right. there's also a piece of knowledge transfer, uh, right? How do you transfer knowledge from one generation to the next of these of the folks that choose careers in this area? How do you transfer knowledge from, you know, uh, from one period to the other as they might rotate into different positions? I mean, not only the work-life balance, but I think there's a talent piece to this as well, particularly in the absence of maybe the efficient use of technology um, or a more efficient use of technology. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, that's, I think that's dead on. And the, you know, if this, if this was an industry where, you know, knowledge management types of solutions and initiatives were more prevalent, you know, maybe you could mitigate it through that. But, you know, Steve, let, you know, let's look at what they're doing, right? They're using, very manual, simplistic uh, digital tools to keep track of the program. Uh, I, you know, I do not see knowledge management solutions being widespread as a way to mitigate that. So every time you have turnover, there's going to be a steep learning curve, both from a, okay, how do I do this efficiency efficiently, as well as how do I even digitally manage this thing, right? So I think or that at least is, understand and then be able to proactively mitigate past yeah. mistakes as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and I, and I think, you know, we asked a question around, you know, what kind of activity, you know, companies had around a formal improvement initiatives around this. And about, about a third said that uh, there are executive sponsored efforts and that's good, right? Um, how important is that? If you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but how important yeah. is that executive sponsorship to drive change? Yeah, it, it's, it's very, very important because what we have learned uh, by looking at initiatives across many different industries, many different types of initiatives, is that it's not just about technology change. There's a process component to it. There is a people component to it in terms of roles, responsibilities, skills, uh, and there's a cultural component to it. Yeah, I mean, if you've been doing this the same way for 20 years, it's hard to not only get program managers, you know, to do it a new way, but everybody else in the organization that relies on program managers or interacts with program managers. I've been emailing, you know, this person, you know, once an hour for the last year. Why do I need to change? Right. So um, getting executives involved and having their hand in it in providing vision and leadership uh, is an important component of these types of initiatives. It's critical that they get involved. Let's close with some of the opportunities respondents say open if program execution was more efficient. Can you talk about some of the uh, you know, most uh, identified opportunities that respondents say would be available? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... <laughs> 
there was one clear one that was the top kind of takeaway. Hey, if you could execute programs more efficiently, what what would it mean for your company? And that was reduce the cost of each program. Um, and so that means avoiding disruptions, avoiding recalls, avoiding financial penalties. I mean, you can that can manifest itself in many, many different ways in a program. Um, and frankly, that ties directly back to what we talked about capped margins with these contracts. So that's that's one. Another one is pursuing more opportunities, right? So if we're able to execute well on the stuff that we've already kind of closed and are starting to deliver on, then you feel bullish about investing in and pursuing more of these types of opportunities. Uh, that was another one. Uh, adding new clients or maybe new markets, right? Uh, if you're in the automotive industry and maybe you're great at it, but maybe you want to mitigate the risk that the automotive industry represents. Um, maybe you want to spread out into aerospace and defense or medical devices is a way to kind of balance things out. Uh, that is something you could do there as well. So, but it's very clear. Number one was reduce the cost of each program, 48% of all respondents. The next one was pursue more opportunities or bids at 23%, so more than doubled up. So doing this better means reducing costs and creating opportunities to grow the business. seems like yeah. a pretty straightforward business case to me as to why investments need to be made in improving program management in the automotive industry. Agreed. Yep. Chad, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with me today and sharing the results of this exciting research. Appreciate you taking a few minutes. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and talk about it. I'm excited about it. That's Daily Drive for Wednesday, October 6th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>